Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study of the book of Hebrews. When you read through the book of Hebrews, you will see time and time again that Jesus is greater than everyone and everything that ever was, is, or will be. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the house, as well as those of you online. We're glad you're here, and we're excited about uh, today's service. We're in the middle of this series on the book of Hebrews, and something important to understand about the book of Hebrews. Now, while we don't know who the author is, it's very clear that the author of Hebrews was speaking to people who were in a culture that obviously was not Christian, and, and they were being drawn back subtly to that non-Christian culture. And so the author of Hebrews was writing to help them understand that Jesus is greater than uh, the culture they were immersed in or where they came from to help them come back. And really, that's not unlike where we are and where we live in the year 2022. So I want to start off just talking a little bit about rest. Uh, There was a recent article in Forbes magazine, and it argues that nearly 40% of Americans sleep less than six hours a night, leading to a higher risk for a number of health problems. Some of you are probably shaking your head, yeah. Back in 2014, actually the Center for Disease Control and Prevention regarded America's sleep problem to be a public health epidemic. Now, uh, true rest seems to be elusive for most of us. Uh, Only one in seven adults sets aside a day of rest a week. And on that day, what do most people do? Well, surveys say that most of them actually work. Only uh, one in five of that small group say that they don't do any work at all. And and an even fewer amount of Americans commit to a a daily time alone or time with God. And very few of them intentionally set a a time to be separated from their electronic devices. Think that one through for a moment. But really, in the big picture, it's not just a lack of physical rest that is a problem. There's also the truth that we need spiritual rest. You know, the reality is this, as being a follower of Christ, as wonderful as it is, can be very challenging. As we labor through the the desert of life at times, through its trials and tribulations, It can be exhausting for us. And so as humans, we're always longing for a place where we can finally rest. Now, as you start reading through the book of Hebrews, you'll come to chapters 3 and 4. And and in that section, it talks about this idea of promised rest that God has for all of his sons and daughters. And and we ask ourselves, what's this promised rest? Well, it's both uh, present and future. Uh, It is the present rest that we receive when we have put our faith in Jesus and now know that we don't have to strive anymore to be accepted by God, that through faith in Jesus we can be accepted and our sins can be forgiven. But it's also uh, this idea that uh, we are promised eternal life through our faith in Jesus Christ. So that that promised rest uh, means that 
It's there for us. To, and, and think this through. Now, when, when we talk about promised rest, it, it's not the idea that we're going to be uh, laying around on the couch and, uh, you know, eating Cheetos. And it's not the idea that in heaven we're, we've got some couch made out of, uh, out of clouds. But, but it's this idea that we're rested in the fact that we know who we are and that we're accepted by God because of Jesus. And so we don't have to strive anymore to think we have to please God, that we have to do something to win his favor, to receive the gift of eternal life. It's this idea that there's no more striving, uh, but there will be activity. There will be things that we do. And in fact, uh, you know, even when, when God rested from creation, he stopped his creative work, but he didn't stop his activity. So in this section of the book of Hebrews, God inspired this author to give a very important message to us as Christ followers, both now today as well as those 2,000 years ago. And it's a message uh, for the direct audience then, and it's the message for us also today. So I'm going to break down this message in, into three parts, okay? And here's the first part. Don't miss it. Don't miss this message. So in this section, the author starts off quoting from Psalm 95, where God declares to the people of Israel who wandered in the desert for 40 years that they will never enter into God's promised rest because they have rebelled and they've been disobedient. And this is a reference to the story of, of the Jewish exodus from slavery in Egypt to freedom as they headed to the land that God had promised that he would give them. It was a land described in scripture as flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it had every good thing that you wanted. But they didn't get there. They didn't get to the promised land. Why? Well, let me read a couple of verses from chapter 3. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So look at what the people of Israel did. They, they heard God, but they rebelled against God. They sinned against God. They disobeyed God. They didn't believe God. And because of this, he said, you will never enter into the rest that I have offered for you. Wow, that's, that's huge. They, they never made it to the promised land. Even Moses didn't make it to the promised land. So let's pause for a moment. And let's just consider what those Israelites saw that made God be very real to them in very tangible ways, and yet they chose to disobey God and not believe in him. Think about it. When God heard the cry of his people enslaved in Egypt, he sent Moses to Pharaoh, and, he, and Moses told Pharaoh to release the Israelites because that's what God had told him to do, to, to let them go from this slavery, but Pharaoh wouldn't. So what did God do? God sent 10 plagues on Egypt. The plagues were supernatural manifestations of God's almighty power. So the Israelites witnessed the plague of blood and all of the water in Egypt. They saw the plagues of the infesting swarms of frogs and gnats and flies. They saw the plague that killed the livestock of the Egyptians, but not the livestock of the Israelites. 
They saw the plague of boils, of hail, of locusts, of darkness. And then they saw the final and the ultimate plague, the plague of the, of the death of all the firstborn in Egypt. And when Pharaoh finally relented and let them go, they understood what God had done to free them. And yet, we know the story. Pharaoh didn't just allow them to go. He changed his mind and he went after him. And so as the Israelites are leaving Israel, and you need to understand that this was over a million people. They, they found themselves uh, coming up between Pharaoh's army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. And God did something miraculous again. He parted the Red Sea and let all of the Israelites go through. But then when Pharaoh's army entered that same dry land pathway through the Red Sea, God closed the sea back onto them and destroyed the army. So they saw that. They saw the manna that came from heaven to feed them. They, they saw the water that, was, that sprung up from the rock. And they saw God guide them in so many supernatural ways. And yet, they didn't trust. They didn't believe. They didn't obey. And so God refused to let that generation of Israelites cross over into the promised land. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we read what the, excuse me, in the book of Numbers, we, we read that uh, what the author of Hebrews reminds us that those who didn't believe in, and, in God and disobeyed and sinned against God, they never entered the promised land, not even Moses. So this is why we, we need to go back to the most important verse in this section, and, and I'm going to read it. It's verse 12 from chapter 3. The writer says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. See to it that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart and turn away from God. The author of Hebrews is, is telling us, listen, don't miss this. Don't miss what God has done for you. Believe in God. Don't sin against him and don't turn away from him or you're going to miss this. That's the message that we have to hear today. Don't miss what God has done for you. That takes us to the, the second part of, of this section of Scripture, and the second part of this message, and it's this. The promise still stands. The, the promise that God made to the Israelites about rest still stands for us today. Chapter 4 starts off with this de great declaration. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, to disbelieve, to disobey, to turn away from God. So the promise still stands for you and for me. The author is telling us uh, and his readers that the rest that God promised the Israelites so long ago is still available to them and to every generation of believers since then, up to today and till tomorrow. It's still there. The promise still stands. New Testament professor Dr. Michael Kruger writes about this promise this way. He says, such an, uh, such an offer reminds us of something critical. The ultimate rest God had in mind was not a physical plot of land. After all, our author is not asking the readers of his letter to pack their bags and move to Canaan in order to enjoy this rest. So, 
clearly what the writer is inspired by God to write about is that this rest that he's talking about is eternal rest. It's the rest that comes from knowing Jesus here while we're on this earth and we don't have to strive anymore to, to please God and to make him happy. And it's also about that eternal rest. Hebrews tells us in the next few verses this, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Now, this is really important for us to see that what God was doing with Israel was not the end game. You know, getting into the promised land, into the land of Canaan, that wasn't the goal that God had. Building the temple in Jerusalem, that wasn't the goal that God had for us. The goal that God had for us was that he was pointing to the fact that we could have rest. Rest from striving in this lifetime and the promise of eternal rest through the faith of the chosen one that he would send. A little later, the author of Hebrews points to one of the most revered leaders uh, of the Jewish faith. His name was Joshua. He was Moses' right-hand man. While Moses uh, walked through the promised land with the Israelites, he brought up Joshua. He trained him. And while Moses was forbidden to enter the promised land because he also disobeyed God, Joshua was allowed to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so for that, Joshua was and is very revered. Uh, but the author of Hebrews reminds us that even though Joshua took the people into the promised land, he wasn't able to give them the promised la rest. Joshua couldn't do that. He couldn't do that because the land, again, was not the promised rest. It was what God wanted to give us all. So interesting uh, Dr. Kruger that I quoted earlier has an interesting insight and I want to share it with you because the ultimate rest could only be achieved, he writes, by another Joshua who came at a later time to deliver his people. Now, what he's pointing at this, and it's an insight, uh, the name Jesus is actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. In Hebrew, you would say Yeshua. And it's become anglicized by us as, as Jesus. And so he concludes his thoughts with this question, Dr. Kruger does. In essence then, the message of the passage, this passage in Hebrews is which Joshua, which Yeshua will you follow? The one who leads people to a temporary physical rest? Or the one who will take you into the eternal rest with God in heaven? You see, the promise of rest still stands. For all of humanity, all we have to do is take it, receive it. Uh, the author of Hebrews ends this section with these challenging words. He says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example. He's pointing back to Israelites so that they won't follow their example of disobedience to God. Now that verse can be summarized with this last point. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. 
You and I need to do whatever it takes to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes as the Israelites who sinned and rebelled and disobeyed and didn't believe in God. We need to do whatever it takes to, uh, to avoid what was going on with those first century Hebrew Christians who were walking away from Jesus. They were being immersed in the culture and instead of being in the world but not of the world, they were in the world and being drawn deeper into the world. The author of Hebrews says that we do not want to be people who perish by following the Israelites' example of disobedience. So, are you willing to make every effort to, to do whatever it takes to enter that rest, or to receive that rest right now, as well as that promise of eternal rest forever with God in heaven? If you are, then you can begin to take advantage of that with faith, by believing in God. Remember what we read earlier. For only we who believe can enter his rest. So don't forget the faithless examples of the Israelites who saw the miraculous work of God and still didn't believe. So what does that have to do for us today? What does it mean to believe and have faith? Does it mean going to church? Does it, does it mean uh, joining into a small group and studying the Bible? Does, does it mean uh, doing a daily devotion or giving financially to the body of Christ? Does it mean praying and all these other things? My answer to that is no and yes. It's no because those things don't save us. They don't give us the promised rest. But once we believe, then yes, because those become the fruit of our faith. We do those things because we've received the promise of rest and we want to grow in our relationship and our spiritual maturity. You see, it's easy to think that, that faith is some good deed, something to build up our strength to do and to feel proud of ourselves for doing. But, but in fact, Dr. Kruger says this, that, that finding faith is just grabbing hold of the thing that saves us. And that's Jesus. What matters is not faith itself, but the object of our faith. What saves us is Jesus. Faith is the way we get to Jesus. So Jesus saves us if we believe in him. So no good deeds save us. Baptism does not save us. Baptism is evidence that we have believed. It's following the obedient teaching of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. It's Jesus who saves us. And that's extremely important for us to grasp. That's important for us to live in that truth and reality. Nothing can save us outside of Jesus. No thoughts, no person, no political or philosophical point of view. It is only Jesus. Now, as I say that, though, the author of Hebrews says that there's something that can help us grasp hold of Jesus and mature in our faith. And we find it in, in the very next section of, of Hebrews. And I'll admit, what I'm about to read, you're going to say, well, well, that doesn't go in this section because it feels like a sudden change of topics. But indeed, it does fit because... If there's one thing the book of Hebrews does is it shows us how God speaks to his people and helps his people believe. 
So let me read these next, these last two verses. The author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Doing whatever it takes to have faith has to include God's word because that's the primary way God speaks to us. And this passage tells us why scripture is so important. And, and so, remember, we need to believe in Jesus. That saves us. He gives us the rest in this life. We don't have to strive for salvation. He gives us the promise of eternal life because we're guaranteed being in heaven forever because of our faith in Jesus. But we need to do everything we can to grow in that faith and our faithful obedience to God as we believe him and entrust him in things that don't make sense in the world that we live in, but they make sense according to God's will and God's plan. So what does this passage, these last two verses tell us? It tells us this, that God's word for us is personal. It tells us that it's not just a book. It says that God's word that the word of God is alive. In other words, it means that a, a living God, a living person revealed itself to us and revealed himself through it. Since God's word is, is empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we encounter his word, we encounter God. It's through God's word that we meet him, learn from him, and have fellowship with him. If you want to spend time with God, you need to let God's word be read and be a part of that. Uh, theologian John Frame writes this. When we encounter the word of God, we encounter God. His word indeed is his personal presence. Whenever God's word is spoken, read, or heard, God himself is there. So God speaks to us from his word. It's God's voice. When we read God's word and take it into our hearts and let it dwell in us, God speaks to us and works in our hearts and mind. Here's the, the next thing that that passage tells us. It tells us that God's word is powerful. Look at the language the Bible uses. The word of God is active. It says that God's word is sharper than a double-edged sword. Now those, those descriptions are powerful. And they tell us about the power of God's word. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, take a moment to think about how God spoke and how things happened. In the beginning, God spoke the universe into existence. All of his creating didn't come from using hands to build things. He spoke it. His word created. When we read through the gospels and we see Jesus, the son of God, living on earth, doing miracles. Almost all of his miracles happened without him touching anybody. He would heal with his very words. The Apostle Paul wrote about Scripture, and he said that Scripture was breathed out by God. It comes from his mouth, and that that Scripture is a powerful tool to equip us who believe in him, his followers. And he tells us we can use it as a tool to teach what is true, 
to realize what is wrong in our lives, to be corrected by God when we do the wrong thing, and God can then teach us what to do that is right. That's the the power of God's word. Now, it, it may be redundant in what I'm getting ready to say, but in Hebrews, we also understand this, that, that God's word is penetrating. So let me go back to that passage. Remember what we read. The word of God penetrates to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. And he goes on and he says, nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God sees all of our lives, and he can divide the good from the bad. He can penetrate our hearts even when they're hardened to him. So if you know someone who has a heart hardened toward God, pray and ask him to penetrate their hard hearts. And that's the purpose of God's word, to to break through our defenses He wants us to understand. He he wants us to know him and to follow him. The the word of God is not just a way for us to get to know God, but it's also a way that he reveals who we are to ourselves. When we read the Bible and let it penetrate our hearts, we will see things about ourselves that we never saw before. We'll see our real intentions, our real motives, our real character. So, God's word is the the primary tool that God has given to reveal himself to us. And so we should do whatever it takes to receive that promised rest. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and get ready for our final psalm because we're going to talk about the, uh, just cling to the promises of God. But, But here's how I want to close this message today. You know, if you've been with us from the beginning, you you saw Ben come and share his testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. You saw him uh, be baptized as a step of obedience to following what Jesus taught about baptism. Baptism doesn't save him. He was saved by Jesus when he put his trust and faith in him. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to ask you to do it today, to, to understand that He can give you rest from your striving to win God's approval or people's approval because in Jesus, God sees you as being enough. You don't have to strive anymore. And you can rest from all that. You can know that you are God's child. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. If you just accept what he has done for you in Jesus. And on top of that, He gives you the promised rest of of eternal life with him forever. That that we believe that this world, this life is not the end. That there's more. And that we who believe in Jesus, who saves us, can receive that eternal life. So I want to invite you today. If you've never put your trust in Jesus to do so, if, if you've strayed, if you've been doing your own thing, if you've been walking away from God and you want to make a recommitment to him today, I want to encourage you to do so. So I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And I, I would ask for those of you who, who feel like you are solid in that rest that he's given you to pray for those who need to take that step of faith and put their trust and faith in Jesus. So 
would you bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm gonna begin with a prayer and then I'm gonna give those of you who wanna put your faith in Jesus some words to pray to him. Father, we thank you that you have given us the promise of rest in this life, that we don't have to strive, that we don't have to, to work for your approval, that in Jesus, you have forgiven our sins. And through our faith in him, we've received the promise of rest in this life from striving and, and rest in eternity. But Father, we do confess that uh, some of us have sort of wandered away from following you and and we need to recommit to you. And then, Father, I know that there's some folks who have never put their trust in Jesus. So I'm going to invite you, wherever you are in that, to make a commitment to God or a recommitment to believe in Jesus, that he is your Savior. I invite you to pray these words just silently where you are. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus defeated the power of sin and death. He was raised to life. And now I commit to following him all the days of my life. And we say amen to that. Praise God. Thank you for that time of prayer. I want to encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, we have a, a book that we would love to send you. Just let us know. You can email us if you're online at Valleybrook, connect at valleybrook.cc. If you're in the building today, you can send us an email there or you can uh, connect with one of our leaders because we would love to put that in your hands. So we talked about the promise, the promise that God has made for us. That promise still stands. And we're going to celebrate that with this final song. So would you please stand as we sing this song? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.